0: You've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone. On the East Coast, and good morning, everyone, on the West Coast. Today we're talking about how how to have great relationships. And my guest is Marianne Camaroto. She's the author of Great Relationships Begin Within Hindsight, What You Need to Know Before You Drop Your Drawers. And the name of the book is Hindsight. She's an award-winning author of the book Skinny, Tan, and Rich, Unveiling the Myth and Hindsight. She's also a national speaker, clinical hypnotherapist, relationship coach and radio personality. Millions of people worldwide listen to Marianne's lively tell seminar series and her three weekly radio talk shows on Marianne Live. Welcome Marianne. <clears throat> it's
2: so great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, it's a little different being on the other side, huh? <laughs> you know, it really, is. you know, I'm used one to of the driving, that's for sure. Is um this whole, I, this whole title, you know, what you need to know before you drop your drawers. I mean, let's go to the, go to the juicy stuff first.
2: People yeah, are we, always uh, asking
1: the question when they date. You know, how long should I have sex with this person? Should I not? Should I wait? Some people wait until they're married. Some people wait after the first date. Some people wait six dates, six months, three months. What do you think, Marianne?
2: Yeah, I think that for everybody it's going to be a different place that you're going to choose from. Basically, the reason that I wrote the book, Hindsight, What You Need to Know Before You Drop Your Doors, is because over the last 25 years, most people who end up in my office or in some kind of seeking counsel have been heartbroken in some way and confused by how it happened. So looking back and studying over the years, what I found was there was one common denominator that most of us got intimate. Way before we did what I call the interview process, among other things, and we're just extrapolating this one point, uh, we draw the line, fortunately and unfortunately, and even unconsciously, when we get intimate with someone, Mm -hmm. the game changes. And there's a number of reasons that that happens. There's a chemical reason. There's attachments that form. Uh, you become more vulnerable and so on and so forth. So you've got ultimately a greater investment. The problem with that is most of us want to negotiate the really important parts of a relationship after we've gotten into it The internet. question
1: is, though, Marianne, having said all of that, you know, when is too soon? And does that really depend on the people. I mean, should you never have sex on a first date? Should you never have sex after three dates? I mean what are there some rules here or do you think yeah, it
2: depends? Of course there are. And this is not about sex. And I'm gonna just harp on that. This is not about the sex. It's about are you prepared to be attached to someone that you don't know that well. So if you don't know them that well the odds of the relationship getting sideways are high now look at patricia if you've known somebody for several months as a friend you know how they roll you know what they do in life you've observed their values you know you've seen them around you've had interaction with them and then you suddenly start dating one night and you have sex well look at you've got a history that shows you who this person is That over time they do what they say they're going to do versus if you hook up with somebody you met last night, you've got all of five minutes and you're going on a hunch, which scenario do you think has a better chance of making it in the long haul? Now, look, if everybody's um, idea here is to attract and create a healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationship, then I say the longer you wait... To get to know somebody, the better your odds, exponentially better your odds of being in a long-term relationship versus if you go with the crapshoot, go on just the chemistry, the studies are in. Over time, we have shown relationships don't make the haul because chemistry is not enough to sustain a relationship over time, period. Period you got to know who you're dealing with. So, again, the, the, the short answer is the better you know somebody, the better the odds of you having a long-term relationship. So if you're so frisky that you can't stand it, go masturbate, for God's sake. I mean, this is a ridiculous conversation in terms of when to have sex or not. Nobody's that desperate to have sex, Patricia. Yeah. You know, we, we really, if, if I may be so bold, We can all stand to wait and check out who we are dating and relating uh, so we can set ourselves up to succeed here.
1: Well, Very strong points. When you said something about the chemistry, don't you think, though, Marianne, with sex aside, the chemistry is important? Sometimes people will say, I met the greatest guy, he's got everything I want, but I'm just not physically attracted to him at all.
2: Yeah, yeah. There are two ways that that usually pans out. Uh, We've got something that's called our love imprint, our love map. It's how we got programmed early on psychologically by our family. We saw here in the United States, there's um, love is like a battlefield, okay? There's that scenario, war. That triggers a kind of chemistry when you meet someone that has a similar psychological love story as you do. The damsel in distress and the hero. There's another archetype that could signal your chemical reaction, okay? There's a bunch of reasons that fall into two categories why we feel chemistry with someone. Neither one of them is a great indicator of who's going to be a good partner. So what I and a bunch of other people out there are advocating and promoting is that we all grow up that we need to understand and make distinctions about chemistry there are two different kinds of chemistry that I'd like people to consider. Mm-hmm. The uh, old paradigm, which is the biological urge to merge, and the psychological love imprint, neither again of which are a sound reason to hook up with someone. The the alternative and the new way, the conscious way of hooking up, is a feeling of connection that is more heart-centered, that eventually, sometimes immediately, but eventually moves into the lower centers, and you can experience a great physical, even sexual intimacy, but it develops over time. This is a healthy way of connecting with someone that has a greater chance of you having a lasting um, relationship. Here's here's a, a story about that. Uh, so many of my clients say that, yeah, I met this really great guy, and, you know, I'm just limp around him. He just doesn't do anything for me. And I say, well, you need to do some work around your addiction to drama. Typically, most of us are addicted to the juice. We're addicted to that old paradigm of chemistry. So once we uh, make those distinctions, then... We can be open to relaxing into our own bodies, to giving ourselves the validation that we need, the love that we need in ourselves. That's why I say great relationships begin within. Then we can choose a partner that we have all kinds of things in common with, that we have shared yeah. values, beliefs, morals, and why yeah?
1: they... You
2: know, as you get
1: to know somebody more, you've heard this all the time, you know, you've heard people say, you know, I wasn't attracted in the beginning. Yep. as I got to know the person, I had such a heart connection. We had so much in common. We believed in the same things. I began to become more attracted to him or That's her. right.
2: That's exactly right. That's what happened. I would have missed my husband had I not followed my own teaching. it's part of how I developed this. I had had a series, like so many of us women, of relationships that I was compelled to be in but always turned out to be painful and destructive in some way. And not always on my end. Sometimes I was the one inflicting the pain based out of unconscious motivations. But when I sort of grew up and looked at, and this is, yeah, it might sound harsh, but really at the end of the day, if you want a great relationship, you've got to do the work. And eventually mm-hmm. I learned that, wow, there are other things about relationship that, that are going to help in the well, long things run. You write what about I really want.
1: Loving yourself and self-inquiry. Yep, and in the book, yep. you talk about the importance of self-inquiry. What are some of the things that we should be asking ourselves?
2: Well, the first first thing we want to do is get comfortable even sitting with ourselves alone. The first thing I do with everybody and anybody who doesn't know what self-inquiry is, I ask them to get a pillow, sit down undistracted, without music, no candles, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Silence you on the floor, close your eyes, take a deep breath. How long can you stand it? Patricia, nine out of ten times most of us are trying to bolt. We can't stand it. Mm -hmm. We just don't want to be with ourselves. So my next thing I say is, well, wow, why would anybody else want to be with you either? Mm -hmm. Right? So self-inquiry is about, wow, I need to get to know myself. I need to sit with myself. I need to learn how I kick So the first thing we do, sit down, get to know yourself, and then start giving yourself and inquiring into yourself, asking and giving all the things that you think you want from a partner. That's a great place to start. My favorite question is, what do I need to know right now? I've got a whole program called the Show Me Method, which is a body-centered self-inquiry program. I've got a whole CD series for you if you're interested to help you get started. But basically, we just want to learn that the mind is here to serve our body so we can follow our spirit, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Just because our mind tells us something doesn't mean it's true. And boy, we get in a lot of trouble, don't we, when we follow uh some of those <laughs> stories that our mind tells us. Don't you agree, Patricia?
1: Yeah, I think but uh Katza the real question is, how do you know? And that's where the intu that's where we need to learn and listen to our intuition You know, what's the inner voice versus the outer voice? And sometimes the outer voice is screaming so loud that we're not hearing the truth from our inner voice. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I always say to folks, let's don't climb over what's here. Okay, so if what's here is something that's screaming and that's an outer voice, I investigate that first. Mm -hmm. I think it all needs to be investigated slowly with great deliberation and respect for the process. Becoming internally referenced is not only a challenge for most of us um, in this culture, the programming that the decades and years and thousands of years, probably, because based on survival, um, is staggering. So bringing our attention, particularly in the Western culture, inside is a daily practice. Bringing our attention to Inside of our bodies, so we can hear is a huge feat. And like you said, sometimes we can't hear the voice because we're so distracted. That's why practice, practice, practice. It's really critical. Or, like I say to folks, you know, keep doing what you're doing, you get more of what you got. Exactly. Marianne, when people come in,
1: speaking of that, what people say to you, when people come in and see you for counseling or for coaching, what do you hear most of the time? What's the major issue?
2: Yeah, the, the major issue falls into an archetype um, of the victim, typically. Most of us feel like love happens outside of ourselves. So 90% of the time, my clients feel like someone's done something to them. Mm. Uh, the other 10% of the time, if you've done some work on yourself, you think, God, what am I not getting? So typically those two categories. Someone's done something to me. I'm devastated. Uh, I, I need to get over that. My my heart's broken. And then B, um, after we've dealt with that, there is the what's wrong with me? Am I broken? Am I flawed? Am I unlovable? And, again, it's really about bringing the attention to yourself and healing healing your relationship with yourself because, as I said, it falls into that that, uh, category of, wow, we think that when someone or something loves us, then everything will be okay. And it's really, really difficult to break that pattern. But that's essentially uh, the two things I see. Yes, and
1: yet, hasn't there been statistical data out there that has said that people are happier generally in relationship?
2: (laughs) Yeah, but that's, you know, that's a way taken out of context. People are happier when they're in happy relationships, when they're happy with themselves. So you show me a person who's unhappy in a relationship, and I'll tell you that they're way better off uh, having a dog than they are being in an abusive relationship, you know. So I think, again, let's, let's create context here. We yeah, need I think what I meant in is lives.
1: if you yeah, had many people people in our people who are happy no, no. being single and happy being in a couple are people who are paired with someone happier in general when they
2: it's it, right. that they're both happy. Yeah, and you know that there are all kinds of relationships. Let's let's pay attention to that as well. Um, I think having contact—we're relational creatures. To your point, uh, we need to be around people because it really does uh, elevate our levels of serotonin and all the other chemicals that create a, a sense of well-being. So, friendship. Um, Women, statistically, uh, we've proven now that talking, sharing, relating uh, raises all those uh, hormone levels inside of women and men as well uh, to a different degree, however. But being related is really important, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be a passionate or sexual relationship. So, again, I like making these distinctions because it's real easy to get lost in in some of that, uh, you know, sort of, um, psycho babble about how you know, you know. For example, yeah, what, what you you're said.
1: saying is you can have a relationship with a niece or a nephew or a child or a friend. Yep. that's satisfying and satisfies yep. some of the things that you might get from being in a partner.
2: That's right. Being part of a group, having a running club, starting a, you know, whatever it is, going back to school, being around people is really important. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right. One of the things uh, you talk about in your book is six tools that
2: could save your life. What do you mean, Marianne? Yeah, most of us don't have a relationship tool belt. We're prepared for everything else. We have a plan to go to college, to buy a house, etc. cetera. Um, but my six tools are the tools we believe, my husband and I, are, are fundamental to architecting a really healthy, fulfilling relationship. Um, the first three tools attend to the who am I. The second three tools attend to uh, what do I want and what am I willing to do about that. So the first three tools are about self. The I am, who am I? The the number one point we we brought up in the first tool is the mirror. Um, really taking a real good look at who am I, making the distinction between you know uh, being externally referenced to internally referenced, creating a practice of self love, understanding principally that how you feel about yourself is exactly how people are going to treat you in intimate relationship and investigating. So it's about really doing the work on yourself, uh, the first three tools. Uh, the second three tools among them uh, are one of my favorites, the flashlight. Um, it's uh, really when you are uh, exposed to people that you're attracted to, it's having the the tools and the skills too, as we talked about earlier, investigate more deeply if this person's a really great choice for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the tools that really, really helps people do that uh, are, is asking the great questions. This is the flashlight. Making sure that what people say and what they do over time matches. And this is not just with intimate relationship. You can find this across the board. People will say anything, and they do. They'll tell you whatever you want to hear, particularly if they're in survival mode, if they're desperate and and unconscious, they'll say anything. So
1: the flashlight helps you. Well, that brings me to a question. If you're on a date, should you be asking these deep questions, you know, what do you believe in, do you want children, do you want to get married? I mean, should you be asking those questions on a first, second, or third date
2: Um, I would probably avoid the first, second, or third date scenario, particularly the younger you are. You want to have fun and you want to be playful and you want to just see if this is anybody that you want to be around. And, you know, 98% of all communication happens precognitively. So it takes you a few dates just to kind of get a sense of this person's vibe. Then uh, when you get a little bit more invested is when you pull out what I call your non-negotiable list. You want to make sure that you're not going to invest any more time, for example, if this person that you're with is not available, by the way, which is something you want to find out in the first date, if not the first five minutes that you meet someone. I can't tell you how many women and men end up in my office because they've wasted their precious time courting the idea of being with someone who's just not available. It's really painful. As in marriage. As in, I'm sleeping with somebody else. As in, I don't even want to be in a relationship with you. I'm flirting with you. As in, yes, I'm married. I might be engaged. I might be getting a divorce, but I'm not available. Mm -hmm. And we're so frightened to ask the question because we're so desperate to be wanted and loved or we're trying to distract ourselves. It's really critical to ascertain that. Actually, psychologically speaking, it's one of the markers of a healthy individual, someone who will make certain, first of all, If they're going to invest any time, that someone is available. How
1: do you know that, Marianne? You're going out with this person and
2: you think Mm -hmm. they're available and they're not. How do you determine that? Oh, I don't even go out with the person until you find out. The first bit of conversation that you have, and and if somebody asks you out, let's say just put you right on the spot right now. Here's language. Hey, you want to go have a cup of coffee? Hey, you know what? That might be nice. What do Do you mean like as friends? And then the person will say, well, yeah, okay, well, are you in a relationship? Are you seeing somebody right now? And then the person might say, I don't know, and then, you know, you want to check it out. Go right to it. If you're interested in the person beyond coffee, the sooner you find out, the better for everybody. I mean, why invest your time or energy? And friends, come on, let's don't kid ourselves. Most people who are having coffee, spending time, who have a ring on their finger, Really, you know what, here, here's my rule of thumb, all the men that approach me in my life, I go, hey, yeah, I really like you, here, let me introduce you to my husband. Mm-hmm. Through God, most of my husband's best friends are people that I've sort of passed along to him, unless they don't have guy friends, it's just typically men and women, when they're approaching each other, they want something more, but you've got to see who it is and what their motives are, yeah? Right, Absolutely.
1: And And, you know, a lot of what you're saying is common sense, but for some reason, as you said in the beginning of the interview, we're afraid. We're yeah, afraid to ask these questions.
2: we are. We're afraid. we we're desperate. We've watched way too many movies. We really think that against all odds, particularly if our love in print is one of those fairy tale ones. It doesn't matter if he's married. He'll leave her for me because I'm the one. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the kinds of deep-seated, delusional? Very sick beliefs that we have. It's mental illness. It really is. It's a marker that we are not mentally sound when we are perpetuating these kinds of uh, delusional ideas. And we do damage. Trust me. I've done it. I've been there. I'm speaking from experience and because we're desperate we're desperate for someone to love us again going back to if you love yourself truly deeply and really life will attract towards you uh, a similar kind of being and beings to share your life with
1: alright now in your book under uh, this chapter which is called the stud finder you have an exercise which is write your self love prescription the love prescription part a You ask people to look at what they want physically, mentally, psychologically, and spiritually in terms of value. Mm -hmm. And then you ask them to write their list, revisit it, and add layers. And then go back and add psychological characteristics, exactly what you want with physical and body, and and a statement about their spirituality. So it's very involved. It's looking at these things and then writing a paragraph, putting it all together. And then you go into Part B and Part C, um, which, again, is adding in about physical, mental, and spiritual. But you really get into depth with these things. Talk more about that, Marianne.
2: Yeah. Well, one of the things I think is really fun to do is to dream whoever you want to be with into being and in my workshop, I invite folks to do this: write the list of you know everything and anything that you want in this partner. The more detailed, the better. Um, but then I do. I've got a little wrinkle. At the end, I ask you to go back through the list and highlight everything in the list that you want that you are not. So, for example, um, let's say you want somebody really fit, and you're not. Just highlight it. You want somebody who's financially independent and secure, but you are not, underline it. You want somebody psychologically really grounded and sound, but you are not. You're dealing with something else, you know, whatever, underline it. At the end, most of us look at this, this, and if you're honest, we'll look at some highlighted areas, and this is what I call your self-love prescription. Here's why. Until we heal those things we seek in another, that old paradigm of you complete me, rescue me, make me okay, take me away and make everything, you know, mm-hmm.
1: we'll live happily
2: ever after. Yes. Cinderella. Until we do that. You know, until we embrace these things we want uh, in ourselves, we're less likely to really create a balanced partnership. And this is a wake-up for a lot of folks. They're like, wow, I don't, I don't even know how to do that. I was really hoping someone would rescue me. That's really hard. I'm like, yeah, it's really hard, but try playing out the uh, dynamics in an ugly relationship. That's very painful, you know.
1: So are you saying that you should not uh, look for someone who has something that you don't,
2: or you're Absolutely. not Absolutely, I agree. I say not. I say give it to yourself. I say look for people that are uh, balanced and and look for what you're looking for because you like to be around it, not because you want it or need it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really out of a deficit. That's a, a surefire way to set yourself up to fail because then you create a relationship out of dependence and need versus interdependence.
1: So what you're saying is if you're not financially independent or as much as you'd like to, You're looking for that. You may be looking for somebody to fix that in you.
2: Yep. Rescue you. I say, you know, be honest with yourself. If you're a financial nightmare and you want somebody to come along and rescue you, be willing to pay the price with your soul. Sure, they'll pay your bills, they'll do this, but they own you. That's an old paradigm. If you want to sell yourself, people do it all the time. Do it, but do it with your eyes open. The problem is most people end up in my office crying about it when they just, you know, weren't honest with themselves. Mm. If you want to trade your sexuality and your, you know, your skills as a wife and a mother for somebody Mm. financially taken care of, you just barter it in the beginning.
1: Well, and I mean, if you look at many marriages today that, you know, I'm talking about long standing marriages, 30, 40, 50 years, I mean, that was the paradigm then. The man went to work and the woman is taken care of and uh, she's not
2: working. Yeah. Okay. Well, they negotiated that well, right? They had all the other stuff to go with it. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying know what you're doing because there's a price to pay. If If you're with somebody who doesn't mind taking care of you financially, who gives you free reign, totally trusts you, doesn't care how much money you spend, and you can do whatever you want, rock on. You know, if you could work that that out, I think that's fabulous if that's really what you want. And as a man, if you want somebody to have your kids and and do all that sort of stuff and you just pay the bills and that's what you've negotiated, great. We just find this so rarely a a kind of uh, compatibility that actually creates fulfillment. Sure, we can hang in there forever, but the more studies that have been done – is unless we have the matching stories and we've, you know, signed up for it and we're in for the long haul and we've made our bed and now we're going to lie in it, then, then they don't typically work out. They're not fulfilling. You find these relationships have lots of because there's an imbalance hardship. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Marianne, we have about two minutes left. So tell us, please, how we can learn more about your work,
2: particularly um, your radio show, as well as your books. Great. Well, you can go to MarianneLive.com for starters. M-A-R-Y-A-N-N-E L-I-V-E dot com. And uh, we've got all kinds of gifts and treats just for listening to this show. You just click on the little pop-up window and we've got something for you straight away. Um, I've got three radio shows all week long on Marianne Live. There will be uh, a list of how you uh, find out what our topics are, what's coming up, and how to get involved. We also have another little treat for you at FreeBeginWithin.com. My husband and I just created a great divination deck. If you want a reading and want to know where am I right now about relationship, my life, whatever, go to freebeginwithin.com and get a free reading with a great divination deck. Um, and it will help you get started on the journey to self-inquiry. And like I always say, great relationships begin within. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. Really, it was
1: really enlightening and inspirational. Great to be Thank here. You. Thanks all for having right. me. Stay I online. wish you every blessing. Okay, folks. Remember, um, remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. And you can write to me, Patricia, at PatriciaRaskin.com. Go on to PatriciaRaskin.com. I have several radio shows, and you can check them all out online. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Bye for now.